We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings on the Prophet, may peace be upon him. Okay, so so we've now done three commands, right? The Be the abd of your rub, be the worshiper of your nourisher. Second one, don't make rivals to Allah knowingly. And then the third one is to give good news to those who believe and do right, that they will have gardens beneath which rivers flow. And, and then further within those that passage, we also had uh, the prescription for, for doubt, how to uh, uh, address doubt. Now we're going to move forward to Ayah 26 and 27. And so let me just pull up the... The screen. So I 26 says, indeed, Allah is not timid to present the example of a mosquito or what is smaller than it. Yeah. So what was also taking place at the time of the prophet, peace be upon him, was criticism that, okay, God is so high, but your book talks about these insignificant things like bugs. So if you page through the surah names of the Quran, there's a surah called the ant. There's another one called the bee. There's another one called the spider. And so one of the criticisms was that, okay, this is beneath God to talk about these things. God is so majestic that why is your book uh, placing focus on those things? What would be uh, possible answers to that question? You know, this question of why is your book talking about these things that are insignificant or rather we might even call them pests. What do y'all think? Dead silence. No reflection whatsoever. Nobody wants to guess something. People of Rochelle, you want to guess something? What was the question? I just got it. <laughs> okay, so so basically the criticism was that uh, that Allah is so high and so majestic and so glorious. Why does your book talk about insignificant things like bugs? And so Sana's answer is even the small things can be extremely powerful. Absolutely. And a good example is a virus that can shut down the entire world. Really, really good example. So at one level, we're saying nothing is actually insignificant. When we look from a world perspective only, then my existence and your existence is completely irrelevant to the earth. Uh, and my existence even more irrelevant compared to the solar system. And my existence becomes even more irrelevant compared to the Milky Way. And then imagine the cluster of galaxies that the Milky Way is part of, and then imagine the universe, right? And uh, on the flip side, we're saying from the perspective of belief, no. Your value is dictated according to what the divine has decided, meaning Allah is the one who appraises all. That's literally one of his attributes. And, and so we're being taught, for example, that, that a, any human being, meaning not even a well-behaved, not even an upright human being, is more valuable than all that the universe otherwise creates. And everything has value by virtue of the fact that Allah is the creator of it. So, so we have to be very cautious against minimizing the value of, of, of something. And then on top of that, uh, that, a lesson that's taken from this further is that guidance is available to everyone. Guidance is not the privilege of the scholars. I can be someone who, like the generation of the prophet, peace be upon him, can't even read or write. And I can understand the belief system down to a very, very deep level without being a scholar. Uh, I have the possibility of reaching the highest level of paradise. And from a society perspective, I could be somebody completely irrelevant. Right? This is something common across religions. This is, this is not something limited to, to Islam. But this is a point that we're making of about Islam itself, that everyone has access to the divine, limited only by their own uh, ambitions. Uh, 
meaning no institution, no other person prevents me from having access to the divine. And this includes praying to the divine, speaking to the divine, as well as guidance from the divine. And so also we see in the Quran that this uh, that even these little bugs are often used for for teaching profound lessons. So uh, there's a, a fascinating ayah in Surah 29, which is literally called the Surah is called the Spider, and and in the passage it says the weakest all, or the house of of a rejecter of faith is like a spider web, and the weakest of all houses is the house of a spider is the spider's web. And if you reflect on it, there's some fascinating points to think about that, that the silk of a spider, the silk is pound for pound stronger than steel. But any one of us knows how flimsy a spider web is. And so there the divine is saying that's what the house of a rejecter of faith is like. It's something that in its construction, in what it's made out of, might be super strong, but it's still ultra flimsy. Yeah. So, so these are a number of responses. And to make sense of the, what the text oh, is saying. Can I add something? Sorry. Yeah, go for it. Um, what I also heard was that, like, in terms of, like, the relationship between, like, the spiders, like, the female spider eats um, the male spider right after, like, um, they have sex and all. And then, like, also the baby spiders would also eat each other and stuff like that. So, like, relationship-wise, like, the house is very weak. Like the family okay. is weak. All right. So, if, uh, uh, well, I guess the only other man in this room is, is Dominion. If you happen to be considering someone for marriage and she tells you she likes spiders, just walk in the other direction. Especially if she's holding a fork and knife in her hand. Yeah. So, so yeah, so, so Sana, thank you for, 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 for that. Uh, yeah, and, and the point is that we have all these lessons in nature itself um, that teach us about our relationship or that teach us about uh, the divine. Now, further, the language here is interesting, that Allah is not timid to present this example of bugs or, 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 or such. So Allah is not too shy to to give examples from, uh, what does it say, ashamed, to give examples from things. So so this is a subtle point that I'm sharing, and hopefully it's not going to confuse you, that we said before that uh, if we list out all the attributes of Allah in the Quran, you can put, uh, you can categorize them in different ways, but one common way is to split them to two categories. The attributes of majesty and power and the attributes of beauty and generosity. So Rahma, this giving of ease, is actually interesting because it is an attribute of generosity, but could also be an illustration of power. But with kings, something that is not as common in our culture, because we have a president, is that in, with kings, there's also a notion that a king is supposed to behave a particular way. Right, so when, when when American leaders go to meet Queen Elizabeth, there's all these rules. Okay, you can't even touch her, and there's things that where she's not supposed to walk because she's a queen. Okay, and so the further criticism that's given is that if you're saying that Allah is the King of all the kings, there's ways that a king should not be behaving, especially regarding these these minuscule things in society. King should be too embarrassed to, to address those things. They should be above all of us. And here we're saying no, that Allah Ta'ala is, is controlling of everything. He's involved with everything in, in all of creation. Okay, now the next part of this verse gives us our most basic obligation that a believer has to the Quran. Those who believe know that it is truth from their Lord. That's the most basic obligation that a believer has, to take it as truth. Now, what is this is easier to understand by what is not being said. It doesn't mean I need to know what every passage means. My most, my most basic relationship is to regard the text as truth from Allah. Okay. That's my most, most basic, uh, simple relationship that I'm supposed to have with the Quran. Better than that, of course, is to know what it says, and better than that is to know, you know, various uh, meanings of all the different passages. But the, what is the bare minimum? 
regarded as truth. That's how to pa that's the passing grade. But then we have something else. <clears throat> we have those people who reject faith, and then sometimes they will raise questions. Like, what does God mean by such an example? Yeah. Now, this is a subtle point that, again, it's probably going to make more sense just from the explanation than from the style of language here. That if you think even in popular culture today, there's a few people that are considered to be like the big forces of popular atheism. So one is this guy named Sam Harris. Uh, another guy he's passed away is Christopher Hitchens. Another guy is Richard Dawkins. Uh, sometimes the fourth person is Bill Maher, a TV show host. Uh, and these are looked at as sort of the four horsemen of modern public atheism. And when you get into their arguments, it, it doesn't seem like they're saying, okay, show me the guidance of your religion. More often they're saying, you got to be stupid to believe this. That's their language over and over again. And that's sort of what's being said here, that at the time of the prophet, peace be upon him, there were people who were rejecting faith, and they were asking, well, what, is this, what does this metaphor mean? But what was revealed was they didn't really care about the answer. They just want to make fun of you. So sometimes that also happens in matters of of belief and non-belief that people start mocking the other side and so now consider this <coughs> excuse me he misleads many thereby and he guides many thereby and what is it that we're talking about we're talking about the quran itself how is it or why is it that allah would mislead people with the quran it's literally saying he misleads or he lets astray and he guides. We understand how that God would guide people with the Quran. How or why would Allah misguide people with the Quran? What are your thoughts? Uh, he would misguide those people that are out there just to make fun of you, like you said. The ones that aren't looking for answers, they're just there to disprove you. Mm -hmm. So that's the core right there. If a person is not looking for guidance, if they're not looking for answers, then they may not be seeking guidance. And, and so if I'm looking to prove that the Quran is something else, then then from the Quranic lens, I'm seeking misguidance, right? If I want to show, okay, uh, like for example, if I wanted to argue that the Quran is a book of war, can I do that? Yeah, sure, I can find passages that, that speak about armed conflict. And if I want to say thus, you know, Islam is a religion of war and such, sure. If that was my intention, that was my agenda, I wasn't seeking guidance to God. And so as is the case with, with any scripture, the Quran can also be used for whatever I want it to be. The goal, however, is to submit and seek guidance from it. So then Allah Ta'ala says he does not misguide anyone, okay, meaning his default relationship with everyone is to guide them. But there's a group of people that he does let astray. And these people are called the Fasiqs. And I'll, I'll write this out in just a moment. And then we have three attributes of the Fasik. The first one is they break, they break their pact with Allah after confirming it. Second one, they split what Allah has ordered to be joined. And the third one is that they cause corruption of the earth. So these are attributes of the people who here are being called defiantly disobedient. And then it says about these people, these people are the losers. Okay, so, so let's uh, put all this to, together to help make sense of this. Alrighty. So we did talk to, so the term here is, whoops, sorry. Is Fasik. And this is a, a person 
or let's just say, let's just rather than write it super long, a shameless rebel. This is a person who just doesn't care. They enjoy flaunting all the wrong that they do. And so they like to boast about the wrong that they do. And so Fisk is the, the condition of being a faucet. Okay. So this is this is Fisk. So Alotal is saying in the, at the end of I-26, he does not mislead anyone except for the shameless rebels. It's like their default is misguidance. And we've talked about this before. Uh, somebody's raising a question. Yeah. Um, do they know, like when you said they um, enjoy flaunting the wrong they do, do they believe what they're doing is, they know what they're doing is wrong or they don't believe it's wrong? Um, they don't even care. But they do know it's wrong. That's why they flaunt it. Okay. But the bigger point being that they don't even care that's wrong. You know, it's kind of like they're showing how 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 tough they are by their ability to 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 mock, um, you know, whatever is whatever other people take as sacred. And so we uh, you've seen this term before because we talked about. Oops, sorry, I like the. And we said that as someone is trying to get closer to the divine, like you'll remember this, we said that there's different levels of faith. One is Islam. And then as you get closer to the divine, you add another dimension, Iman. As you get closer to the divine, you add another dimension, Ihsan. All is part of your search to get closer to Allah. But you might go in the opposite direction. And one opposite direction is rejection of faith. Another opposite direction is hypocrisy. And then we said that even worse than that is fisk. And so it's sort of like saying the person here at this level still has shame, still has embarrassment. They're doing wrong. They're rejecting faith, uh, either on the inside or on the inside and on the outside. But uh, they, may, they still might have a lot of attributes of being upright in their conduct. This person, however, is such a narcissist that they don't care. They literally are the type of person who believes that the world revolves around them. And they can behave whatever way they want. Yeah. And so... We said that there's, we listed out three attributes of the faucet. So they, they, uh, they break their pact with Allah after confirming it. They split what Allah has ordered to be joined. And they spread corruption in the world. Uh, Sabrina, raise your hand. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, what does it mean, split what Allah ordered joined? Uh, that we'll talk about each of these in just a moment. Oh, okay. And then I also have another question. Yeah, go for it. Breaking the pact with Allah after confirming it. Like, for example, is it uh, like someone that said the Shahada and then I no longer believe it? Or 
Okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk about that one too. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Okay, so so if we go to so what is this pact that Allah ordered to be joined? If we go to Surah Seven, there's this moment in prehistory. So try to even comprehend what that means. There's this moment before, you know, the the world. I think it's 172. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Where Allah Ta'ala rounded up all of humanity. Okay, so none of us in this world have been born yet. And he rounded all of us together. And, and so it says, and when your Lord took from the children of Adam from their loins, so the children of Adam, so Adam's the first person, from their loins, all their descendants, and then made them testify of themselves. Allah says to all of us in this conversation in prehistory, am I not your Lord? And we all confirmed. So everyone in creation has confirmed that Allah is their Lord, their nourisher. Okay. And so we're hardwired with this in our consciousness. So so this is this introduces the idea of the fitra. So so let's explain this, and this will bring us back to that original point about what does it mean to break the pact with Allah. So every one of us is born in fitrah. I don't think we've talked about this yet, correct? Okay. So this is your natural state. One element of your fitra is everybody is hardwired with the consciousness of Allah. This is so, for example, if someone was raised on an island, had no interaction with believers, the default is that they would have some sort of consciousness of God. They may not even have a name. For, for Allah, but they have this consciousness of a, supre a superior supreme being. Good. And everyone is born with an innate consciousness of right and wrong. Or we might call them boundaries that they're not supposed to cross. But this consciousness can be buried. Okay. How it depends on how you're being raised. You might sort of lose this consciousness of right and wrong. This loses consciousness of God, and it can be uh, found. Or a common term is can be purified. Okay. So think of all the different theories of human nature. One is a theory of the tabula rasa that everyone's born as a blank slate, and then you're nurtured into being upright or not. And another theory would be that people are innately evil. And this outlook. We're saying that people are innately good. So that was not a very good bracket. That people by default are good. That people by default are sacred and innocent. In this outlook. So then the question becomes, well, where does wrong come from? So this raises the question of influences. So what are some sources as a person is growing up in society, in life, what would you say are some influences 
on them. Anything. The people around them. Yeah. And so this we're going to call your inner circle. I think we've done this chart, haven't we? Not everything's a big blur for me. Okay, what are some other influences? So the devil. The devil is also an influence. The devil and his minions. Your environment. So this is your environment, and I would speak of your society with emphasis on categories and ideals. So for example, in our society, race is a category. It's a constructed category. Yeah, we did do this chart before, I thought we did. You know, we have ideals of, of you know, what is a man like? We have ideals of what is a woman like? So which one do you control primarily? Your choices. So the point is your fitra is also there influencing you. And so the end result of your choices is that each choice you make will either contribute to you being more upright or contribute to you being less upright. And so, so breaking this pact with Allah the first pact is that confirmation that we did in prehistory. So what does it mean? It means that my default from birth is that I'm a believer. And I continue remaining being a believer unless I'm raised to be something different or I myself choose to be something different. So for example, if I didn't make a choice, my default would be to be a believer. So the confirmation of this pact was in, was in pre-life. And so this is basically saying, you know, number one is saying I'm basically turning away from Allah. Which also means that I'm turning away from my natural self. My natural primordial self. To split what Allah has ordered to be joined, this is primarily relationships. So divorce is allowed in Islam, but my other relationships, I am not allowed to break them without justification. Good. So meaning I'm breaking relationships without justification. Justification. So what is said literally about the day of judgment is that Allah Ta'ala is going to be questioning each of your relationships. He's actually going to ask the relationship. You know, how did you sustain the relationship? And so imagine, okay, there's me and my sister. So imagine I do a great job in sustaining that relationship. The relationship itself is going to speak to Allah on my behalf. Or suppose I do a horrible job in the relationship. I break the relationship without any justification just because of whatever, uh, whatever dumb reasons. Uh, then the relationship is going to testify against me on the day of judgment. So think back way at the beginning. We said that one of the central aspects of Islam is the connections and then from there, uh, one of the first exercises, and, and Hadiya spoke about it yesterday, one of the first exercises that I gave is for you to make a list of all of your primary relationships, like two dozen, three dozen relationships, and then evaluate, you know, what are you doing in sustaining and taking care of those relationships. So, so they split what Allah has ordered to be joined. And then the third one is a bit more straightforward. They spread corruption in the world. That, that's, it's, uh, so this is essentially doing wrong with others. 
So for example, there are those sins that I may do by myself, and they may relate more to my relationship with God. So like, for example, fasting. If I don't fast, then it's not hurting anybody else. Uh, It's hurting me in my relationship with God. But suppose I join someone in doing wrong, like we rob a bank, you know, or uh, something smaller, uh, I slander somebody with someone else, like, you know, two people together, they're gossiping. Those wrongs that you do with other people, so the wrongs that I do on my own are considered to be really bad. The wrongs I do with other people are considered to be super, super bad. So things like the usual, like sex outside of marriage is considered to be super, super bad because you are corrupting society. And so corruption in society, like government, governmental corruption, matters of justice and such, you're corrupting society. Slander is contributing to corrupting society. So we're saying these are the three keys to misguidance. So you break your pact with Allah after confirming it, you split what Allah has ordered to be joined, and you spread corruption in the world. And what's common among all three of these? Common among all three of these is that these are all, let's see if I can write it nice in. These are all examples of mis... <laughs> yeah, that didn't work at all. I was trying to write misconduct. Okay. Here, I know what to do. These are all examples of misconduct. So the key to misguidance, that doesn't look much better. The key to misguidance is misconduct. And so this brings us back to that one, uh, the drawing you've seen from me many times, which you'll see from me a few more times. Here we have the heart. And so in your heart, you have your yearnings. This informs your intentions, your niya. This then compels your actions. And your actions will either, whoops, your actions will either uh, uh, affect your heart positively, your positive intentions will affect your heart positively, or negatively so we are taught anytime you do something bad follow it up with something good because what also happens is you start developing a taste for whatever your actions are if you do upright actions you'll develop more and more of a taste for upright actions if you do Unupright actions, corrupt actions, misconduct, you'll develop a taste for that. And so to prevent that type of thing from happening, to prevent those types of habits from forming, follow up a bad with a good. So this is Ayah 26 and 27. So Allah Salah says in Ayah 26, he does not misguide anyone except for the fasiq. And these are the attributes of the Fasik. And then it says at the end, these are the losers. So the first type of person we spoke about is the person of Taqwa, who said those are the people of guidance. Those people are successful. This is literally the complete opposite of the person uh, of the of the person of Taqwa. The person of Taqwa is keeping themselves on guard. The Fasik doesn't care. No boundaries whatsoever. Okay, and I saw some people type some things. So uh, we do this. At, at the creation, was marriage supposed to last forever? Or was divorce always an instrument God allowed to break the union since creation? In the Islamic tradition, I don't know if this goes back to creation itself, but uh, it seems as though divorce has, go, uh, has been allowed going all the way back at least to Prophet Abraham, peace be upon him. 
There's a story where, where Prophet Abraham, Ibrahim, peace be upon him, is visiting his son Ismail, and and then he suggests to his his son to divorce his wife. It was related to some things about her conduct and such. Right. And then we have other divorces either initiated by, by the wife or by the husband since then. It may come it may it may be from even before then, but that's the earliest example that I can think of. Any other questions about anything at all? Yes. When we go back to uh, the yearnings, intention, action chart, um, so what do you think has, what it is more, um, let's say, like, depth, I don't know, like, more importance, like, what's taking um, into account more? Is it your actions or your intentions or your yearnings? Well, it's, think of it this way, that everything starts with your yearnings. And when it goes into the level of intention, now it's become stronger. And then when it manifests as action, now it's even stronger. Oh. So, so the yearning would be, this is, you know, in my heart, you know, I want to have peace. Okay. And then the intention would be me trying to figure out even a basic plan. All right, how do I do that? Or let's make it even let's make it even more specific. Let's say uh, I have a bad relationship with someone, okay. and my yearning is to fix the relationship. That's the yearning that I have, okay. and then it becomes an intention when I start thinking of ideas and how to fix it. You know, should I should I send them a note? Should I send them a gift? Should I reach out to them? Okay, now it's becoming an intention. Okay. It becomes an intention once you start making a plan. And then the action happens when, let's say, you know, I, I send them, you know, I send them a, a gift. Okay. And so the yearning is in your heart. The intention is stronger because now you've turned it into a plan. And the action is even stronger because now it's action. Make sense? Yes. Uh, so does that mean, <laughs> what if your actions don't reflect your intentions? Your actions will always be a manifestation of what your intention is. Mm. I mean, try to think of any a case where it wouldn't be. For example, you might be, you might be talking about the result of your action. That's something different. Okay, that's probably it. like for yes, um, like fixing a relationship or between yeah. people. Hey, you see someone fighting, you're trying to break up a fight, but instead your involvement either made it worse or. I don't know. Didn't it work out that way? <laughs> yeah. So so let's say let's say we have hypothetical Sabrine, and and she's trying to fix a relationship with with some hypothetical friend. Uh, give me some hypothetical name of, of one of your hypothetical friends. Hanim. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so hypothetical Sabrine is trying to fix her relationship with hypothetical Hanim, and so Sabrine gives her a really nice gift, yeah, uh, of a book, yeah. And, and so that's what she decided. This is, this, is, this is what can help us in our relationship. I'll give her like a nice book. This is a book that I like. This is the Harry Potter and the blah, blah, blah. And then Hanin receives the book and she's like, why are you sending me this book? I don't have time to read anything. What's your problem, right? So let's say it completely backfires. That's, uh, that's outside of the realm of what we have in the chart here because that's talking about the effect of, of, of the action. Or on the flip side, suppose it's the opposite. Suppose Sabrine wants to hurt Hanin. Okay. Like her desire, she just feels jealous of Hanin. And oh. so her intention is, you know, her intention is, you know, okay, I'm going to cause her misery. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give her a stack of books that, you know, she's going to feel like she's never going to get through. Right. And then Hanin receives this and she's like, my sister. <laughs> how much you care about me right and it backfires as suddenly Hanin becomes a, her, her best friend so yeah that's the results of the actions oh. here we're talking about the part that you can control which is your yearnings your intentions and your actions okay uh, where do thoughts fit into the chart are intentions equivalent to willing okay so thoughts can be coming from multiple sources. So, so here uh, we haven't again still talked in detail yet. But if you think back to uh, this diagram, 
uh, we're being influenced in multiple ways. So we did speak in, at the early part of Surah 2, we spoke about your heart. Like it said, the people who reject faith, Allah puts a seal on their eyes and on their hearing and puts a covering over their heart. Boom. And, or puts a covering on their heart, uh, or their seals their heart and their hearing and puts covering on their eyes. So what are we saying here? That through your eyes, you're also taking in a lot of things that affect your heart. Through your ears, you're also taking in things that affect your heart. So if, if, if someone is, is looking at things they're not supposed to be looking at, okay, that's going to affect their heart. That's also going to cause darkness in their heart because that's still a type of action. And if you're listening to things that are not healthy for you, okay, that is also affecting your heart. And then what else is, is, is affecting you, we said, is the devil is relentlessly trying to trying to get into your heart. How? By trying to inflame your temptations. So you're still the one who has the yearning. The devil's trying to take advantage of your yearnings. And then on top of that, we said angels are also there to reinforce you. Shouldn't their arrows be green? Yeah, I mean, they should be a different color. Yeah, actually, you tend to be consistent with all the rest. Good point. So we have angels. Yeah, this is actually much better. So they're also trying to affect you. And let's make this fair. Uh, positive things. So your ears can be taking in negative things as well as positive things. Your eyes can be taking in negative things as well as positive things. And so when we speak of fasting in Ramadan, what is the basic fasting? It's no food, no water and such for, for that period of the fast. A higher level of fast is you're controlling what you're taking in through your eyes and your ears. It's a much higher level of fast. And so, so the idea is that thoughts... Uh, you know, they are not necessarily intentions and they might only be reflections of yearnings, but yearnings that are influenced by the devil. So we're not held to account for our thoughts. We are rewarded for good thoughts, but we're not held to account for bad thoughts because a thought could be an idea that the devil put into you. Now, if you take it further into an intention, then you're held to account for it. Uh, what do you, uh, do you mean to find? What do you mean by willing? Uh, I want to say maybe this is the same thing, but uh, give me an expand of that. Oh, um, so, so the question came about in class when I was an undergrad um, of God willing something versus uh, intending, right, or doing. Right? So just trying to split the difference, or not split the difference, but understanding God's interaction with the world. That is, he can will something, but not be acute of what happens. Mm. Um, that, uh, I got to reflect upon more, because that's, uh, it might be what we call a category difference in terms of how these things are, are explained in the Islamic paradigm. Okay. Meaning, uh, how does, so, how does will play out the divine will? How does, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, how does, like, does God have intentions? Mm -hmm. I yeah, I don't know. You know, essentially what we're saying is beyond the attributes that God has shared about himself, everything becomes speculation. Yeah. And even the actual meaning of the attributes is also speculation. You know, educated speculation. So yeah, I wouldn't have a, 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 a concise answer for you for that. Okay, Suha, did you say we'll be asked about every relationship we have or just the closest ones? Every relationship, but especially the closest ones. Uh, are, we not are we not still responsible for our thoughts even if we keep feeding bad ones? If you are feeding your bad thoughts, then you might be entering the realm of intention. 
But if a, that, if a bad thought comes into mind, so let's say, let's say we have this hypothetical person named Suha, and she's taking, you know, intro to Islam, you know, with hypothetical Muzaffar, and, and she gets a grade lower than what she believes she deserves, right? So let's say she gets a hypothetical, well, let's say she believes she deserves an A plus, and somehow hypothetically, she got a D minus. Okay, so just a little bit lower than, than what she was expecting. And then in her mind, she's thinking, okay, uh, hypothetical Muzaffar is an evil, horrible man. Okay. If that's just what the thought is, then, then it's, you know, uh, even if she doesn't see forgiveness for it, inshallah, she's forgiven. But she should seek forgiveness to prevent herself from keep thinking, you know, from letting her thoughts run away. Yeah, he's a horrible man. Look at look at the way he dresses. Look at the way he talks. What a, what type of horrible person this is. I got to stop him. You know, now when it becomes a train of thoughts, then it's sort of like it's it's running away from you, and so you, uh, we have to like uh, rein it in. And so so the point I'm making is that repeated thoughts can start turning into character. But if it's a thought here and there, it might have just been an idea planted by the devil. Any other questions? So what if the plot she plotted, um, I mean, so she started thinking that you're an evil person and then she starts plotting to hurt you. So that would be the intention. Yeah. And then it would be the action if she actually tripped you across yeah, so so when she starts plotting, now it's become an intention, it's become a Nia. And then, yeah, so let's say I'm walking down the hall and she sticks out her leg to make me trip. Now it's become an action. Even if she was just thinking it or imagining it, but actually doesn't really, like, is going to do that? Okay, now, so let's say she's she's plotting, you know, she's fantasizing on how to hurt me. And then she decides, no, that's wrong. She gets rewarded. Yeah. But if she's fantasizing on, on how to hurt me. Yeah. So essentially I'm saying if she takes that bad intention and she on her own doesn't turn it into action, she gets rewarded for a good. Yeah. But if she turns it into an action... Yeah, right now, Sabrina's thinking, okay, all these people that I wanted to destroy. Good thing. Yeah. Maybe we'll get rewarded. So, but if she turns it into an action, then she's held, held she's going to be uh, in trouble for the action. No, I'm thinking about all the failed plans. Yes. <laughs> so, so, someone else just posted a, a question. Uh, what if you, what if you have so many family members, like, I don't know all of them. Will I still be asked about those? Uh, can you can I ask you to expand on that? Because I want to say the answer is yes. So, like, yeah, in, in the generation of our parents, grandparents. I, okay, so so essentially, I'm not saying you have to be a hundred percent present and taking care of all of your relationships. So the value of the relationship will 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 vary. So obviously the, uh, at the top of the list will be, you know, your relationship with your immediate family members. And, and then those people who are part of your extended family members, depending upon what culture you're in, a lot of times they're in the same house. A lot of times they're, they're separate, especially in our modern time, everyone gets separated from everyone else. At the very, very least, you can't break the relationships. You might be really bad at keeping up with them, but you can't break the relationships. Uh, mitigating circumstances. Uh, uh, I want to say yes, of course, they'd be concerned, but what are you thinking of, Dominion? Um, somewhere on the order of what you're saying. Distance, um, time, time, or yeah. time difference and things like that, right? Yeah, and that's just even speaking about a case where things are not abusive, right? And so uh, I think in our world, especially our urbanized world, it's very hard to sustain relationships. You know? But so think of breaking a relationship is what that Aya was talking about. You know, that's not the same as just being bad at keeping it up. You know? And so, but yeah, but uh, do take, if you, for those who haven't done the exercise, really take some time to, to look at, you know, uh, where are you in terms of sustaining each of your different relationships? 
So I have a question. Um, yes. For number two, split what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered joined. Yes. So I understand that to be like family, for example, blood relatives, or your spouse. But what? Or your spouse, not necessarily, meaning no. if it's without justification. What's that? Meaning divorce is allowed, right? You can divorce right. your, 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 your husband or wife. You can't divorce your child or your parents. Uh, okay. No, so what, what relationships did he order to be joined besides those, for example? Yeah, primarily it's your family. You okay. know, think, of, think of family as the, as the center of civilization. If the family breaks down, then everything breaks down. Okay, so friends don't count. So friends, it's, it's, uh, it's still, you know, a certain level of conduct you should have with friends, but sometimes friends drift away from each other because of life. What's the justification of breaking the ones that are ordered by law? Yeah, that was I mean, my question. I mean, a justification for breaking it would be something like, you know, uh, it's uh, a toxic relationship, you know. And, uh, or it's an abusive relationship. Now keep in mind what that, what the first step for that would just be to create distance. You know, there's some people in anybody's extended family where, you know, you have, you know, you have a good relationship, you don't really need to do anything. That's often the default, but there's some people where it's just, it's like totally hostile, you know, and it brings out the worst in you. And then there's some that are straight up abuse. And, and, and so in some cases, like, so the goal is, is there a way for me to sustain the relationship, but by me keeping my distance, sometimes that's not even possible. You know, sometimes it's like you have to cut somebody off. And so think of that as a last resort where you're doing it for the purposes of health, safety, all those things, as opposed to arbitrarily, you know, I don't like you. I'm keeping my distance. Are there relationships that are more um, weighted in the eyes of God than, I mean, I think you said that previously, but like, for example, Family. your relationship with your parents, is that the most important one? Essentially, it's your relationship with your parents and your kids' relationship with you. Those would be at the top of the list. Um, aren't we supposed to have like a relationship with the prophets? So that would definitely be there. That's Islam itself. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, uh, but a way to think about this in terms of, of what does that mean in terms of action? What do I owe the prophet versus what do I owe my mother or my father, et cetera, et cetera. And is it just with the, with the, with Muhammad or is it with any prophet or all prophets? So, so the core of it is the prophet himself, peace be upon him. Okay. And then by extension, it's all the prophets, right? But again, think about what does that mean in practice? You know, for me to have a relationship with the prophet himself or with any other prophet, think about what does that mean in practice? And then it would extend to his companions and his family. But again, think about what does that mean in, in practice? Versus it's easy to identify. What does it mean to have a relationship with your mother in practice? Yeah. You know? So, uh, and also like Sabrina related to your question. Uh, so for example, the spouse's relationship uh, in many cases will be ranked higher than the relationship with the parents, right? So if I am a husband or wife, my obligations to my spouse are higher than my obligations to my parents you know, in terms of providing for them and such. Um, I kind of want to probe a little bit more. All right, wait. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, so the in practice, the way you maintain a relationship with profit is different from the way you maintain a relationship with the family. All right, I, I know that the grand difference is that the profit is not here physically with us, whereas our family is here physically with us. And for some... If they're alive, yeah. Um, okay, what I'm, so the next question is, right, um, in maintaining a relationship with the prophet, isn't that somewhat similar to maintaining a relationship with God? Because, well, God can be said, right? So, so think of it as, okay, the prophet, peace be upon him, is sort of like God's ambassador. 
Mm -hmm. Meaning he's uh, the mouthpiece for God, teaching us what God wants and wills and such. Mm -hmm. And so, so this is in the third surah. Uh, let's see. So surah three, and it's around ayah thirty. So one way to approach this question is oh, right here, uh, 31 and 32. So the prophet is being told to tell us, if you love Allah, then follow me. And follow me means what? do things the way that I do them. Yeah. And Allah will love you and forgive your sins. Allah is forgiving merciful. Yeah. And so a lower level, so that would be driven by love, essentially. A lower level would be to be driven by duty, and that's ayah, uh, the next ayah, which is what's the basic relationship? Obey Allah and obey the messenger. So one approach uh, would be to act out of obedience, better than that is to act out of love. And now you're embodying how the prophet does things. You know, just like, you know, when, when I was growing up, I mean, this is relevant now because of the documentary, and Jordan was playing. Everyone loves Jordan, so what do they all start doing? They all started dressing like Jordan. And then uh, and when we played basketball, everyone started moving around like Michael Jordan, right? That is an element, uh, that's an illustration of love for Michael Jordan. Other passages in the Quran will say that in the Prophet you have the best example of character. And so another way to have a relationship with the Prophet is to regard him as having the best of character and then to follow that. So those are different ways to, to sort of uh, uh, manifest or to illustrate uh, what does it mean to have a relationship with the Prophet, peace be upon him. But what is the bare, bare, bare minimum? Bare minimum is obey. Other questions? I just have one question. Um, yes. This is my, by the way. Yes, welcome. Hello. Yeah. Assalamu alaikum and thanks for letting me join you a little bit late. Uh, 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 regarding like maintaining our relationship with the family and everything, I, I really got the point. But the, the thing is, like, what if you have non believers in your family? Because that could be a very challenging part. Okay. Yeah, they're still your family, and at the very, very least, you should be giving them kindness. You know, sometimes if they're hostile, then it's different. Because remember, at the Prophet's time, peace be upon him, everybody was cousins. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. and so you have Abu Lahab, who is the Prophet's uncle, and he is he is oh, yes. physically attacking the Prophet, peace be upon him. And the whole the whole the whole clan of the Quraysh, they're all you know distant cousins with each other. And so there, it reached the point of war. But the default should be, you know, compassion and kindness. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Any other questions? Yeah, I do. Um, yes. Why is the class dwindling? What's going on? I guess, I guess it's getting too intense. Or no one can sustain attendance day after day after day. We'd have to ask the people who have vanished away. Inshallah. Mm. So. So you, you just talked about cousins. Um, if you have, if you're caught in the middle of cousins, how do you pull yourself out without distancing yourself from both sides? So yeah, maybe, so. What is your obligation you, there? I mean, so the obligation again is kindness, right? Uh, and the obligation is not to break the relationship. Again, you know, suppose they're abusive with you, you, you decide you have to keep distance and not respond to them or something. And, and, and so better than that is if you have people who are against each other, better is to, uh, is to try to create peace between them. But that might be outside of your ability. It might be someone else in the family, the extended family who has the ability to do that. Right. You know, in any, any, the larger the family, at some point you're going to have conflict between between two people, 
and then someone else has to come along often to try to keep the peace, but other people may not be qualified to do that. What if it's, for example, um, you know, Hanin and I are fighting over inheritance. Oh. You won't give me my inheritance. Can I sue her to get my inheritance? Yeah, sure. You know, <laughs> you, you need uh, enough uh, documentation for the court to, to address it, but that would be a matter of, that's more of a straightforward, tangible matter that, okay, this is, this is how much someone owes you, and so you're just going to court for it. Hopefully you would not have to do that, but yeah. yeah. What if I want to sue, well, she wants to sue me and wants to get my other siblings to sue me, but they don't want to sue me. <laughs> okay, so, so why would they, okay, so give me a scenario, why? <laughs> I want to sue her, so Sabrina mm. wants to, I want to sue her. Yeah. And I'm going to get Ayan, Hadil, and Sundas to join in on the lawsuit. Okay. We can all gang up on Hanin because Hanin wants to eat all of our inheritance <laughs> and claim that it's all hers and that, you know, my our parents secretly wrote it somewhere in a note, you know, 200 years ago where it states it's hers. Okay. Sorry, Brent's pretty old. Okay, so... So the basic point being that, yeah, you could be justified in doing that, but the core is the conflict between you and her. Right. But you can, you're also justified if you decide not to go that path and just be like, okay, I don't want to sue anybody. I don't even want this inheritance. I'm done. Yeah. Okay. What's the consequence of actually eating someone's inheritance, like taking it, like not? So in hell, uh, you will be swallowing fire. Um, <laughs> or uh, another is that you'll be held down by these angels of hell who will take an axe and slam you in your stomach with the axe. That's what the prophet saw during a Sran Yeah, yeah, things like that. So. Okay, this is another question in regards to that. <laughs> yeah, again, I love his best, the, I mean, but yeah, keep going. The say that you have cousins that are distant. Okay, I'm just going to say that. So I have cousins, my uncle passed away before all the siblings divided their inheritance. And his kids have never been overseas. They don't know any of the land or anything. But that mean, but they still have a right to it, right? Yeah, they're his kids. Totally. Okay. Any other questions? I don't know. Can I go get my mom? Let's see. So she doesn't know. <laughs> if I say that for another I think time. maybe looking into the Islamic will might help. I don't know if yeah, you want to do you, that. If you want, if, if you want to see the specifics of what is owed to whom, look up an Islamic will. And that that lays it all out. One of the reasons the algebra grew in, in the Islamic world was was to figure out how to how to set up wills. Oh, okay. Doesn't Islam give the man two thirds and the woman a third? It's a bit more complicated than that, but sort of kind of not, yeah. It's it's a complex formula. So there's a formula behind it. It's not just you get two thirds, I get one third. I mean, if it is, is that a bad thing? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So, but the point is that, yeah, um, that it does give prescriptions. And in some senses, it does seem to lean in favor of, of the men, or but more accurately, it does seem to lean in favor of husbands. You know, uh, explain but, why. I mean, that's that's a whole conversation on its own. Okay. No. I mean, is, are you planning for? Yeah, you should look into space? it. It's oh, sorry. Yeah, well, I was going I, to say, oh, I, yeah, I was going to say like you should really look into it. It's really, really, really detailed. Um, like everything is really specific, even into accordance of family member, gender, spouse offspring everything okay and i i get that question a lot from non-muslim um friends or just people i come across that we talk about religion when they say well you know your religion gives you know the man two-thirds and the woman you know talks about the rat so i never knew how to respond to that because i don't know anything about that so I, that's usually my answer i don't know anything about that yeah and that's that's the best answer i mean if someone is that particular that that's their attack, then, then you know, we turn it back and say, so you got no issue with one God and Muhammad being the messenger of God, you know. 
yeah. if their interest is actually in learning um, or is it that they're just attacking? See what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Any other questions? Nothing else? Okay, so I have to run into my next appointment. I'm actually late for it. We will continue, inshallah, tomorrow. And we are very, very close to finishing everything off. Tomorrow we're going to have more fun discussion, getting into atheism and such. All right. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiruka natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiruka natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma glory to you, O Allah, wa bihamdika praise and gratitude to you. Nashhadu illa ilaha illa anta we bear witness there is no God but you. Nastafiruka we seek your forgiveness. When it's too late, and we turn to you. Okay, now let's all reward you all, inshallah, and we will continue next week, or not next week, tomorrow, tomorrow.